Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro, and I am delighted to be back with you for a new episode of Explore the Space podcast. It's been a few months. We took the summer off, had a great summer and uh, a needed break after a busy first half of the year, but I am delighted to be back. It's time to get back to business, time to create some new content, some new episodes, have some great new conversations to add to the Explore the Space community. And we are back strong with our first episode in a couple of months. Dr. Michael Galvez and Dr. Cesar Padilla are joining me to discuss National Latino Physician Day. National Latino Physician Day occurs on October 1st of this year, so we're releasing this a little bit in advance of it. And, you know, having two docs like this, Dr. Galvez is a pediatric hand surgeon, Dr. Padilla is an intensivist and an OB anesthesiologist. They are huge drivers of the work behind this movement, behind National Latino Physician Day, to have them on to discuss the origins of it, the vision of it, the mindset behind the work, and most importantly, the data and the demographics that underscore the project of drawing awareness to the need for more Latino and Latina physicians in the United States is just extraordinarily compelling. This was a lot of fun. It was eye-opening in the extreme. And just a wonderful experience to have these two scholars, these two advocates, these two change makers join me on Explore the Space podcast. I think you're going to absolutely love it. A quick reminder, please do check out the entire archive of Explore the Space podcast. If this is your first time here, welcome. There are well over 300 episodes in the archive, evergreen content with remarkable people on wonderful topics. And you can find them all in the archive at www.explorethespaceshow.com. You can also please subscribe to Explore the Space podcast wherever you like to download your shows. If you haven't already, please do leave us that five-star rating and review. That really helps us out. And obviously keep sharing the show with your friends and your colleagues also really helps us out. You can find me on social media, Twitter at ETS show, Instagram at explore the space show. And you can email me anytime mark at explore the space show.com. Definitely also check out our merchandise store for explore the space show, which is at www.explorethespaceshow.com forward slash merch. We've also got a set of show notes that are packed with really great links to more information about National Latino Physician Day and also how to connect with Dr. Padilla and Dr. Galvez if you are so inclined, and I would definitely invite you to do so. This was an absolute treat. This is an important episode. It's an important moment. Change can happen, and these are two of the people and one of the movements that will help drive us in that direction. So without further ado, Dr. Michael Galvez and Dr. Cesar Padilla. Mike and Cesar, welcome to Explore the Space podcast. This is exciting. I have been following you both on social media for some time. Uh, and as Twitter has continued to evolve, particularly over the last year, I will say the two of you as parts of our med Twitter community have waned. I would suggest that the two of you and the work that you're doing and the messages and the education you're conveying have risen more to prominence. And this is awesome. Mike, do you think that's an accurate assessment? For sure. For With sure. The, yeah, just the the change into Twitter into X, you know, there there really is some flux that's going on with Met yeah. Twitter. Yeah. But we we keep a palpable pulse on it. You have you do. For, and I see that Cesar, do you feel like this has been 
there's no coincidences, right? I don't, I just don't believe in that. Has that been, and I don't believe in like quote unquote good timing. There's an opportunity that I feel like you guys have grabbed. Were you conscious of that? Is this something you both have talked about or is this more instinctive? So I think of social media as a democratization of medicine. Yeah. So Twitter literally was a catalyst in overthrowing dictatorships in the Middle East for the Arab Spring. And there is an old guard that needs to be toppled in medicine. Um, things haven't worked for minorities. And, you know, in the past, doctors had to get promoted to get a voice out, you know, to get a paper out. You had to rely on an editorial board. Guess what? You hop on X, make a post, and if people like it, that's the ultimate litmus test. And so I see it as a democratization of medical and the medical field. In that democratization, I, I agree with your assessment. I think that we've all had the opportunity to reflect on it. And I think in, you know, a generation or two when we look back and write the histories, I think that's going to be the core tenet of why this was so important. As you guys have been putting content on social media and creating websites and creating merchandise, all designed to represent, elevate, and educate around National Latino and Latina Physician Day, I have detected what to me feels like you said, you've got your finger on the pulse, right? I have detected a palpable sense of urgency. And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot in some of the speaking that I've been doing on other subject matter like climate change and gun safety, sense of urgency. And, you know, I was wanted to ask about it, but I went to your website and this is just going to be the, the big plug. Right? It's obviously the, the link is in the show notes, but the, the strike 2% of physicians in the United States are Latina. I live in California. 40% of our state is Latina or Latina. 2% of the doctors? The, the, the discordance, I, I'd honestly, and this is my opportunity to get better and to learn more. The discordance in here, in the data that you put forward, it obviously it makes the sense of urgency apparent. Holy smokes, Mike! It, it, I mean, it does. It makes the jaw drop. Yeah, it's in. That's that's exactly that's what's been our goal is showing that sense of urgency that six percent of physicians with Latinos, Latinas together is not enough, you know, to help take care of this large and growing patient population where it's up to. You know, it's up to 40% in California and Texas and statistics show that it's going to go, you know, up to 50% in the next few decades. So absolutely. Cesar, we here, California, right? The state that we live in, I'm proud to live here. I love it. I've spent most of my life here trumpeted, right? The fifth largest economy in the world. And it is. And we boom in many sectors. As the Latino and Latina population continues to grow and will exceed 50% before hopefully we leave this planet. How can we hope to maintain an economy and growth that chugs along at that rate with that level of discordance in how we're going to be able to provide healthcare? That's sort of a rhetorical yeah. question as I hear myself say it out loud. So your question specifically is how do we keep up with the demands of the yeah. patient populations? Yeah. If we're so, going to maintain an economy that's that big, that powerful, that important to everything from food to industry to tech, the people that are doing it in larger and larger part are going to be of Latino descent. Yeah. The, the, the data around outcomes when you have concordance in those who provide your health care, man, we're going to have a mismatch here. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's why, you know, part of National Latino Physician Day is 
to advocate for legislative change. Uh, if we look at the last 50 years of what the medical system has, has provided, it, it simply has failed in diversifying medicine. There's been some improvements, but it hasn't kept up with the the pace of diversity of our state and uh, and country. And as the saying goes, California leads the way, right? If it happens California first, the rest of the country follows. So I'm, I'm proud to be in a Californian. So we now are in a place where we have to look at alternatives. We need infrastructure. We need, um, you know, post-SCOTUS ruling against affirmative action, um, I think should be a sign of inspiration, frankly. We shouldn't, we should see the cup half full. Um, an example is looking at community college attendance, um, bilingual skills. I mean, that's another example we talk about. And it's just crazy to say out loud, right? Like, how is it that bilingual skills are not a metric for acceptance in a California medical school? Hello? When, like, the, doesn't that matter as much as 10 research publications, 20 research? Like, what's going to make you a better doctor? Like, let's keep it real. Let's keep it real, right? What's going to make you a better doctor? So it has to be... Um, uh, it has to be structural change, Mark, and it has to be done with legislative power behind it because um, nothing's going to change without the the power of the law. So we, we really believe that. And um, yeah, I think I, I think you know to answer your question, that's it's really the only way. We we have to look at the last fifty years and just you know the chapter's closed. It's not. It has not worked. I went to medical school in Texas. Uh, the same applies, right? I mean, it. it that it, that it wasn't part of the education hardwired and baked in again an opportunity to do better i like the focus though on on legislative change um there's obviously a lot of levers to pull here but in order to have this happen at tempo at scale to have those percentages move it seems like legislative change is a key place to start mike how has that landed both in your organization kind of coming up with ideas and and elevator pitches and things to present and also, actually, on the ground action, how has the the work around legislative movement been going? Yeah, so it really has been side by side with this thought process because we are yeah. thinking this is not, you know, as you can tell, uh, this is not just, you know, a Cinco de Mayo. This is not just like a celebration. Hey, Latino physicians, let's do it. Let's like work harder and there'll be more of us. Uh, recruit the next generation. And people will tell us that, oh yeah, we just need to recruit more Latino doctors, but there are thousands of pre-medical students that are applying. And so we are thinking big, we are thinking this as a movement and we, you know, the way we're created by the system, right? We're both from community, we're products of the community college system of California. And we are at the top of our game. Meaning we have jumped through every hoop, jumped, you know, gone underneath everything, you know, we're, we're incredibly hardworking. We are double uh, fellowship trained and we're doing very complex things. Things, You know, I take care of kids with complex pediatric problems um, and Cesar takes care of uh, anesthesia and patients with complex obstetric problems. We are, you know, just like you mentioned in the, you know, you've mentioned before is we're, we are full-time busy physicians, but we think that this is so important that, um, you know, this is, equally, you know, as important as the work that we are doing with patients, we believe that this is a bigger aspect that needs to be changed from a systemic aspect, from the educational aspect, as mentioned, uh, with uh, coming from community college and the language aspect. And so we have been able to make some inroads. There are 
um, uh, there, there have been some, um, there is a focus right now actually, and it's, it's on, uh, Gavin Newsom's desk. There's a bill to have Spanish language be incorporated as to be used as far as continuing medical education for physicians. That's what we need, right? Why, why are we missing the language component? And so that's an initial step, but we, you know, we hope with, um, additional legislative change of introducing this day of having it well known across the country, um, but but thinking about these aspects of 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 counteracting and improving the amount of Latinos that we have and that are getting into medical school and um, thinking about going into medicine and are being supportive, it, it's the systemic aspects are the, those changes that have to happen legislatively, and it's not just going to be like, hey, do you want to support this diversity, equity, and inclusion project? Right, this is. This is not, and we talk about this a lot, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion are incredibly important, uh, very important aspects of healthcare, but the Latino issue is a separate issue. It's a patient population. It's a public health crisis that requires a, you know, an urgency, you know? And so that's where um, your question is right on our mind. And that's and not, not only on our mind, but our, we're actively... Um, moving forward in, in different avenues right now to to get that going. I think it's important to also acknowledge, right, that you are both well positioned to do this for a variety of ways, but certainly the state that we're all re residents of, I think will probably be as much, if not more open to this thought process and idea from our elected officials than many other states in the in the Republic, which I think is a good thing. In parallel with the legislative work, for me as someone who is, as I said, right, on your website, seeing the data and reading those articles and clicking the links, you know, and learning and having kind of my eyes struck by some of this data, there's an opportunity for all of us to also get better. And as we're doing that, we have to shed some baggage. And Cesar, I'm wondering if you can kind of help give a sense of the common stereotypes, microaggressions, preconceived notions, the gaslighting the things that come up around the subjects uh, and the ideas around how do we elevate, promote, and build a robust backbone of Latino and Latina physicians in this country, because I think that there are probably some longstanding associations that we really need to acknowledge and then drop as we continue to move forward. Yeah, I think the, one of the most common ones is Latinos are not applying med school. That's not true. Uh, I was just on a... Um, I just had a meeting with an a AAMC, the American Academy of Medical Colleges uh, leader, who was actually the vice chair of DEI department there, and he showed me the data. Uh, people who identify Hispanic, either fully Hispanic or half, um, are six thousand over six thousand applicants a year, and that actually corresponds to the largest um, uh, group that is applying um, when you look at races and ethnicities. So this is people that identify as Hispanic and or and or half, you know, bi biracial. So 6,000, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. And um, I think what happens is there's a common misconception that, oh, Latinos are not applying. They're just not applying. And I hear that a lot. And that could not be further for the truth. And it's and look, it's not saying that, oh, just because you're Latino, you shouldn't you should get into med school. No, an important part of this movement is demanding excellence. So I don't know if you've seen the, the messaging of Latino excellence. Um, and what we mean is that um, this should not be lowering the standards. No, not at all. It just means, for example, and 
I've been involved with mentoring organizations. Uh, I cannot tell you how many times it's like I could paint an archetype of a, of a Latino or Latina pre-med student. Um, usually first generation parents came from Latin America. They're, work, they're holding down two or three jobs, community college graduates. They do everything right. Everything right. 3.89 GPA, but they get 50th percentile on the MCAT. And you tell me, is that a reason? Is that going to predict that person being a, uh, not being a good doctor, even though this person speaks, you know, perfect Spanish has excelled at top universities. And even if they didn't, what's wrong with the state school has proven themselves. In, and so you see this story again and again, and it was to the point of frustration. So when Mike approached me with this idea, it's like, yeah, like we need to really break down these narratives. Um, the first one being definitely Latinos are not applying. The other one is like this bias from community college graduates. And that one is important to tackle because when community college graduates who then go on to a four-year and apply to med school, they're actually less likely to get into medical school when you adjust for other, for other variables. And that's a bias from the system. That's a direct bias. It's like, come on, like the rich get richer. If you go to an Ivy League, you're going to get in. So that's another, and the reason it's important to highlight community college is because most minorities in this country, and especially in the state of California, are more likely to go to community college and be low income. And those graduates who go to community college actually end up going back to the communities to serve. They're more likely to. It's not a surprise. If you grew up poor, you want to help poor people. Uh, but those are some of the narratives that we're, we're, we're trying to tackle um, and some of the misconceptions that we're trying to that we're trying to tackle as well. Mike, as you're doing that and you're facing down these sort of generational barriers that are hardwired, right? The, the preconceived notions that Cesar was just describing, uh, particularly the, you know, the, the inherent bias around community college versus wherever else. And, and I mean, that, that resonates that, that, that seems like something that would take, will take a significant amount of work to break down what maintains the energy Right. You all maintain a high tempo and you have your lives outside of this. You've got your full time clinical practices outside of this. What's helping to maintain the tempo and the spirit? Because right after October 1st, like you said, this isn't a celebration. This is longitudinal work. What's maintaining the, the spirit and the, the energy for you? Yeah, it's exactly as Cesar said, is we, we see ourselves as these students. I think of myself, even though I'm you know, five years in my practice, well-established, taking really good care of patients, I still see myself as that community college student. I still envision myself as that pre-med. And I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, I, you know, I went to community college. I worked, I didn't do well in high school, had a 2.8 GPA. Uh, but when I started community college, got my act together and it was wonderful because it was a, it was a place that they, you know, they would quiz you on things, test you on things that you studied, right? And then I remember going to Berkeley and it was the complete opposite. No matter how hard I studied, you know, I couldn't get an A, for example. Um, and I ended up getting a 3.1 GPA. And what I tell people all the time is had I started at UC Berkeley, and these are direct names and we're very open about the schools. And this hasn't changed because we still talk to students right here, right now, and they're going through the same thing. Anyways, had I started at Berkeley as a freshman, I wouldn't have gotten above a 3.0 GPA. And then we would be, we would be hearing the same story of, 
a Latino pre-med student who worked their butt off um, at a UC, for example, and ended up getting a below a 3.0 GPA, having to do a post-bac another two years of their lives, having to take the MCAT one or two times, you know? And so the, the drive is that we know we have met these are real people, Latinas, Latinos that come, who speak Spanish, who are ready, hardworking, able to work and have been put in purgatory for all these different aspects. And so we're, we are very motivated to change this um, narrative and you're right. It's going to be difficult. There's these generational barriers, you know, step one, no longer exists, but guess what? Now we have step two, right? right. And the MCAT is still there and we're going to change it around, but it's going to be different. And it's not, there will always it's, be standardized tests to take our money. They're not going anywhere. That's right. Soon, but, but there has to be this realization and we're going to yeah. say it out loud that, Hey, you made this test. You have created this problem. That's and right. so now what are we going to do to change that? Do we have to create legislation? Do we have to create, do we have to sit down with the UC board of regents? You know, do we have to sit down with the president? Do we have to sit down? And that's where this grassroots movement is not from one organization, right? This is a group, a very large group. And, you know, we have thousands of Latino, Latino doctors across the country, medical students, pre-meds, attendings from different, every single state, essentially, where we are building a coalition where we will put that spotlight. We have a spotlight, you know, we're, yeah, we're hardworking, yeah. right? We're the Latino working and putting the fence together, right? It's 8 p.m. We're still working, right? We're still working. We got the light on. We're still working, right? We didn't stop at five. We're yeah. hungry. And so that's where um, we, that drive is in us. And I see Cesar smiling, um, but that's, that's us, you know? And so, yeah. Um, we're, we're super fired up to continue this work. And this is our second, um, annual national Latino physician day. We have 85 organizations, including the AMA, the CMA, the AAMC, the ACGME, all these, you know, letters of groups of medical bodies. And we're very proud that they have supported this, that they see that there is a problem and, um, we are hoping to partner and to make these changes and to, generate real change for not for us. We're good. I'm good. You know, I've, I passed all the hoops. We're fine. I'm taking care of patients doing a good job, but, um, I keep saying I'm doing a good job. I'm doing, I'm doing good work, (laughs) but I'm not patting myself on the back, but, but we, we really care about is that next generation. We care about our father, our abuelito, our abuelita who have never met a Latino physician you know, it's, it's, that's where we're at and it and hasn't changed. About it. I'm curious about that because on the one side of the spectrum, I, I, I hear the sort of motivation to, you know, fill the pipeline and make sure it doesn't leak on the far other side of the spectrum for the two of you, right? You're accomplished attendings. You've, you're, you're here, you're, you've done the work. Uh, Cesar, I'm curious, you're an anesthesiologist and it's it's uncommon for an anesthesiologist to do longitudinal care, right? Multiple encounters with the same patient over a lengthy period of time. It's often the morning of surgery or maybe the day before, maybe once in clinic, in a preoperative clinic prior to going to the OR. And oftentimes it's an emergency and we're going, especially in obstetrical anesthesia. As a, right. as a white man, I it's not uncommon for me to meet other white male doctors. That has been my life experience and that would reflect the demographics of our profession. What is it like 
for you and for patients who are Latino or Latina who meet you as their anesthesiologist and hear, hey, I'm Dr. Padilla, I'm going to be taking care of you, we're going to put you to sleep soon, here's what to expect. Is the dynamic different? Absolutely. I mean, I can, I can think of a recent patient encounter where it was a it was a Latina patient and their family member and the family member was like, all right, he's not a doctor. He's your cousin. It's su primo. <laughs> <laughs> it was like family yeah. or patients that are just afraid. And, you know, there's these lived experiences that you can't uh, replicate or that you can't even teach that are not taught. Like, for example, a lot of Hispanics that are here, a lot of Latinos that are immigrants are undocumented. And you can see this sort of fear and, you know, you never know. It's it's illegal to ask if, if, if someone's documented or not. But um, you can tell there's this unease. And once you start to talk about, you know, I love to wear my Mexican soccer team club, like my jacket. And they're like, whoa, is that Guadalajara? And then we start talking. And then it's just, it's something amazing to strike. And I just, you know, I want to mention something that I think is important for the audience to hear is, you know, one of the narratives here, and it's it's not an explicit narrative, but it's an underlying narrative, is that we're, what we're really highlighting is the social and ethical responsibilities that universities have their surroundings. And this is something that the business world has tackled with. So like the Roosevelt Institute, which is a progressive think tank in New York, says that if you're a private entity, your creation in itself is due and owed to the infrastructure of the public society. Like you cannot become for example, just a, a Silicon Valley company out on out of thin air. You need the infrastructure, the support, the social, you know, the tax bracket, whatever. You need the support, and so therefore, there's this inherent social and ethical obligation. We have not heard that language. What is the ethical obligation of UC Berkeley to East Oakland? What is the ethical obligation of UCLA to e- of UCLA to East LA? And I'm tired say, of this. I, I'm tired of this because yeah, yeah. you know it's it's and and it's not just in medicine, Mark. But you look at the LA Times. LA Times is in hot water because they didn't have enough Latino writers. When the city is 50% Latino, how could you get an authentic perspective of LA with a few Latino writers? Or in Hollywood, you know, where like you don't see Latinos represented. So I want to bring this up. I want to know on the minds of our hospital presidents of the, whether it's a UC president or, you know, uh, the board of regents, I want to know what do they think is their ethical and social responsibility of their universities to the immediate surrounding communities, which by the way, the janitors and the custodial staff come from those communities that are cleaning their rooms and cleaning their, their, and cooking the food in the hospitals. What is that? I want to know, are they educated on that? Because if not, guess what? Knock, knock, we're at the door and we're going to come tell you. Like you have a responsibility. You have to train doctors from those communities. And that's something I firmly believe in my heart. It's like, we need to ask these questions. This is, this is philosophy. We're getting down to ethics. And, you know, we feel like there is this inherent obligation that they have, that universities have, private, public, the same, because even private universities rely on the public infrastructure. And, you know, just something that I want to bring up and, and, and highlight because this is a, you know, my mind, there should be a list of top 20 things for CEO. This should be number one. It needs to be up there. Especially when they see the, you know, the population data, the demographic evolution and that discordance that you described so eloquently. Uh, I, I, I tend to agree. I think that this is certainly needs to be something front burner. And I, I think the both of you help not only to educate and not only to 
elevate, but that sense of urgency that at least for me right now on so many issues really resonates. Um, the the way you have presented it and, and the way National Latino Physician Day kind of captures that is extraordinarily compelling. How do people find you, Mike? Where are the places you like people to go? We, obviously, we'll have links in the show notes, but the, you know your social media accounts, where do you like people to go who hear this, who are seeing you on social media, who are seeing you in the news? Where do you want them to go to kind of engage and continue to follow? Yeah, so we're you know very active on Twitter. For myself, Twitter and Instagram at Michael Galvez, MD. And then we have a Instagram account, National Latino Physician Day. And as you mentioned, the website for National Latino Physician Day, those are the ways to keep up to date and stay engaged and stay tuned. I think there is something to celebrate here as I've, you know, I've, I've interacted with you both on social media, but I think the fact that you both have seized this and share it in a way that welcomes everyone to the table, but also it's sort of one of those things that once you know, you, you, you know, um, it's really compelling. And uh, I appreciate you both coming on, explore the space to talk about it for sure. And for the work that you're doing, because, you know, we're all kind of making our way through our careers and we'll get to watch this grow, hopefully swiftly. Uh, but it's, it's really, really exciting. Cesar, thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you for having us on the show and see si Sep with it. <laughs> Mike, thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. Si se puede. My thanks once again to Mike and Cesar for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. As I said in the introduction and during the episode, the show notes are packed. Please do check them out. There's links to everything you need to learn more about National Latino Physician Day, to follow on social media, to follow Mike and to follow Cesar so you can keep up with the work that they're doing. It's very exciting and it does look like things are moving quickly as the day approaches and then celebrate together, you know, recognize and amplify and talk about National Latino Physician Day when it arrives on October 1st of 2023 and going forward, of course. It's always great to have you listening to Explore the Space podcast. And like I said, if this is your first time here, please make sure to subscribe wherever you like to listen to your podcast. You can find the whole archive at www.explorethespaceshow.com. Five-star rating and a review always helps us out and are much appreciated. And please do spread the word, share with your teammates, your colleagues, your friends, your family. All makes a big difference and it helps us grow this great community as well. You can email me anytime, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. You can find me on Twitter at ETS Show, Instagram at Explore the Space Show. We had a great summer off, but I am delighted to be back creating new episodes, back with Explore the Space podcast, back with all of you. I promise you we will be back soon as well with more great content. We will keep it coming. More conversations, more topics, more ideas. Hit me up with your ideas, your pitches. What do you want to hear about? It's great to hear from people who are enjoying the show and have your great ideas. I want to hear them. That helps us steer the Explore the Spaceship in the right direction as well. We will be back soon with more great episodes. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.